Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our New Testament lesson comes from Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. I think I love absolutely everything about this season. We're here on the first Sunday of Advent. The colors are up. The music changes. Everything feels a little bit different. We anticipate and there's an energy uh, that's all over the room and all around us. And one of the things that happens for me across the the weeks of Advent uh, is time travel. I I don't know if y'all are like this or not, but, but this time of year, the weeks of Advent, my memory just goes into overdrive. It's like everything triggers something from childhood, or right? I get a few nods out of it. So sometimes, this time of year, I'll be at the mall, hear a song coming from that Muzak thing that's around there, and I'll just pop back to childhood, following my mom around Zayers or Lionel Leisure City or whatever. Come on, old people. Some of y'all remember Zayers, (laughs) right? Well, we'll set out the manger scene at our house and the one that my mother-in-law had, and I'll get transported. I'll be at her house. Christmas time, crammed on a sofa with a whole lot of people from that side of the family, waiting my turn to open my gift because on that side of the family we go in age order, and you better not go out of order. 
Soon we'll put up our tree and we'll put clothespins. We don't have many left, but we've got a few clothespins with a red ribbon on the top. And it'll transport me back to the seminary apartment, our first year of marriage. When we had a whole tree full of clothespins with red ribbons because we had few ornaments and absolutely no money and that's all we could do to put a tree together. And sometimes I'll hear Luke's Gospel read like Meg just read it so well and I'll get transported back to First Baptist Church of Doraville and I'll hear the Virgin Mary talking to the angel Gabriel in Pastor Bill Doverspike's voice. These things trigger It's a time travel for me. And of course, all of these transportations are romanticized. They glow warmer in the memory than they did in the moment. That's part of the magic of Christmas that we're all so excited about, right? Memories tend to have those filters like, like photographers use. You know, the filters that make everything look softer and just a little bit warmer and and just just kind of uh, less gritty than it really is for instance my christmas memories uh, my memories of christmas morning always get romantic i don't think about like the time my sister's president that needed batteries didn't have batteries and she cried and the stores were closed all of that stuff just goes away right it's, it's, that, it's those memories that have that photographer's filter on it that stay. There's a chance that we do the same thing with some of our biblical readings. That is, we read the gospel stories with this kind of overlay that just makes it softer and more lovely, a tinge holier than it might have been. Like today's scripture, I have to work hard to overcome the images that I've had since childhood when I see this this dialogue play out between Mary and Gabriel. And if it stays locked in that kind of fuzzy filtered reality, it kind of starts looking like a painting done in watercolors. It's just not gritty and real enough. And if the biblical stories are not played out in real lives, then they're too removed from my mess to make any difference. For instance, if I'm just going back to childhood imagination, Mary is young and beautiful and simple, kind of like a young Marianne on Gilligan's Island. Right. Except, of course, now I know She would have been Middle Eastern, but in my childhood memory, she looked like Marianne. And Gabriel, white-robed and sparkly and hearty and earnest, like he'd been cast for a Gleam toothpaste commercial. And then they just kind of go back and forth in poetry. You have found favor with God. How can this be? The Holy Spirit came upon you. Let it be with me. But if, if we let the filters off the story, we might see a real picture 
of gritty living and honest struggle and real people who get to play a role in God's big purpose of healing the world through love. We tend to think of the biblical characters as special, as having extraordinary talents or capacities. But in most cases, the redemptive story unfolds among ordinary people, like this poor rural teenager. Mary's probably 13, 14 years old. Her parents have made arrangements that she will one day marry uh, the carpenter named Joseph. But for now, she's hanging out with her girlfriends and telling giddy stories about marriage. And she's just advanced beyond the days of dolls and make-believe. And just now starting to experience some of the disillusionments of adolescence. Mary has chores and dreams and more than a few disappointments. And she's risked secrets with friends and been betrayed. And she's disappointed her parents sometimes on those days she was just too lazy to do the chores. She's just gotten through being a kid. And Mary doesn't have the painted nails and crinolines of privilege either. She's poor. She gets up early, pulls back dirty hair, rubs cracked feet, kind of favors a sore muscle every now and then because the work is hard. She's a real teenager having an ordinary day when the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. You see, this is at the center of the Christmas story, the biblical story, and at the stories you brought into the room today. That God breaks into real lives, disrupting and liberating and giving purpose, and oh, how we long for it to happen again. I, I need this to be true, don't you? I need to know that God still breaks into the ordinary, making claim on real pe people to make a real difference in their lives. I've got enough tinsel in my life for all the homes in Atlanta. I need some real encounter. Some real encounter with the holy, even if it's disruptive. Don't you want to know that you're fully alive, that you're completely a part of God's purpose, even if it costs you something? All right, I'm going to make a confession. This is just me. This might not resonate with any of you at all, but this is where I find myself this Advent season. I find myself kind of inside a Christmas irony. Because part of what I love about the weeks headed toward Christmas is the escape, the romance, the magic of the holiday season. I love all the stuff. I love the hokey Publix commercials and the way they make me feel. I love the nostalgia of hearing Burl Ives sing. I love the lighting of the tree at Rockefeller Center. I love all of that stuff. That stuff that just 
glows warm as a Yule log. That's part of the irony. The other part is as much as I love all of that, deep down I am desperate for something different. What I really want is for an angel of the Lord to come disrupt things. To just break into my ordinary and make a real claim on me that will make a real difference in me. Anybody else with me? I mean, we spend time decorating trees and icing gingerbread and streaming tinsel so we can make our outside world look festive and ordered while our insides are such a mess that we'd give anything to know that there's a Savior coming. There's this scene in, in, in the, uh, a novel by William Styron. The novel's called Lie Down in Darkness. There's this scene in there of a family gathering for one of those perfect festive Christmas dinners, kind of like the TV commercials do. One of those dinners where mama's tweaking the centerpiece for like the 11th time, waiting on the timer to go off. Only in this novel, in this, the family is an absolute mess. They're desperate and doomed, but they're gathered around for this happy holiday meal. Tidewater, Virginia, the table's laid out with linen tablecloth and linen napkins wrapped in those little silver napkin holders. The family silver is out. The family crystal is out. The room is lit by candles. There's evergreen along the... The meal is a feast. Everybody's dressed up. They're trying to be nice. They're trying to be Christmas happy because that's what the occasion calls for. But bit by bit, the wounds and the torment of these relationships start to boil up to the surface. And the whole Christmas dinner ends in a complete disaster. And the powerful part of the literature, of course, is the contrast of this polished perfection of the holiday setting and this unspeakable anguish of the relationships that sit around that table. And they don't need a better set of Christmas dishes. They don't need a Mariah Carey TV special. What they need, what they need is to know that God still breaks into the ordinary, into real lives, making a real difference in people. Our ordinary teenager, Mary, is having an ordinary day in her ordinary little Galilean town when the messenger of God breaks in. And I love the way the, the children's writer, uh, William Griffin, tells this exchange in his book, Jesus for Children. Listen to his version of the story of how he imagines it for today. Stay where you are, said the young girl, or I'll scream. My name is Gabriel, says the tall stranger. Are you an angel? asked Mary. I have a message for you. 
You shouldn't go about surprising people, said Mary, closing her book. Angels are for surprises, said Gabriel. I didn't know that, said Mary. You are one of God's favorites, said Gabriel. He wants you to know that. Thank you for telling me. And he wants to ask you a favor. He wants you to be the mother of his child. The child the scriptures speak of. The child that will save all the people of the world. Will you do God this favor? Does he have to ask? God always asks. He knows that I read the scriptures and I will do what he asks. Blessed are you among women, said Gabriel. And the angel was gone. Yes, God did have to ask, thought Mary, as she returned to her book. And yes, she would never say no. God broke into Mary's ordinary world And Mary had the grace to say yes to her purpose. In a way, it's the Christmas story in miniature. When as we're set with our eyes toward Christmas Day, there is coming in a Bethlehem manger, God breaking into the ordinary world to save all of us from our ordinary lives. But the incarnation requires a response And all of us have to say, yes or no, let it be with me. You know, there really are two questions going on here. Since God has sent God's only Son into our ordinary world, will we respond with our lives? Will we respond by orienting our whole life around the saving power of Jesus' love? Forming our life into the shape of grace. Jesus has come to save, to bring life abundant, but God always asks. And some of you in the room or watching online might not have answered the first question of Christmas, which is whether or not the Christ child will be at the very center of all of your living. But the second question is for every one of us. The second question is whether or not we are aware of angel sightings. Angel sightings are not always as dramatic as the gospel witness, but you and I know that God still whispers direction and clarity and purpose. God still breaks through into the ordinary for those who have eyes to see. Mary heard a clear call about what she was to do with her life and the role that she was to play in God's redemptive drama. An ordinary teenage girl, a disregarded rural village, and God's purpose was spoken into her life. And our lives have a purpose too, if only we would hush long enough to hear the angel 
when he tells us. This Advent, let's not pray for a perfect Christmas with ham and garland and finding the last Barbie gymnastics playset at Target and all of that. Because what we really want is for God to disrupt our ordinary. What we really want is eyes to see when the angel shows up. What we really want is to find our purpose in this life and then to have the courage that Mary had to just be able to look into the trusting relationship with Christ and say, let it be with me. Let it be with me. Because what I want most this Christmas is to find out why God put me here and then have the grace and courage to live into it. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.